live from Baltimore, the October Surprise season finale. I would like to thank all listeners for taking time out their days to listen to this awesome mini-series. Without further ado, our season finale. Peace, love, and happiness, and enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to No Picks After Dark, Baltimore Sun's best podcast of 2020, voted by you, the listeners. No Picks After Dark seeks to build a community based on human experience, storytelling, and conversation. Now your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Dante. Today, I'm starting off a brand new series um, that I think people in the District 3 and around Baltimore City would like. And um, my councilman and I got together and said, let's do this quarterly and sit down and get to meet the councilman. I think that's something that people need to hear from the councilman. You hear all the time. You hear them saying, I can't get a hold of him. I don't know how to talk to him or he's never around. Well, here's an opportunity for us to have this conversation and meet with the councilman. So without further ado, Mr. Councilman Ryan Dorsey, how are you doing today? Man, I'm great. And it's great to have nobody say any of those things that you just said about me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's no, all good. It's all we try good. To stay, I, try, I try to stay real available. You know, I've got open uh, office hours. We do town halls. We do, um, you know, I got three full-time staff dedicated to fielding constituent things, but we're always looking for new opportunities to be in touch with people. I got an email list. I post all the bills that I introduce and uh, all the bills that I've had passed. They're all on my website, electryandorsey.com. But, you know, still, we try to be in uh, as constant and thorough communication as possible. So I'm really thankful um, to, to you, uh, to No Picks After Dark, for being a partner in this and giving me an opportunity, you know, to just be in conversation. It's, um, it's great to know you, and um, I'm thankful to have you for a constituent. Well, last time we spoke, um, you were uh, I just won Best of Baltimore for Baltimore Sun, and then I now won Best of Baltimore for Baltimore Magazine, Best of Baltimore. So a lot of things have happened since we talked. We spoke last. So again, right. I I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy man. You're doing. I mean, I ran into you earlier today, and you were just got done planting some trees to make yep. our area look beautiful. So yep. salute to you, sir. For- hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. It was nice to get out uh, last. Last winter, I got together with the friends of uh, Herring, um, friend, friends of Hamilton Branch Library, and we talked about uh, kind of the short-term and long-term things that could be done to improve the building and the surrounding area. And one of the things we identified was the two tree pits on the side of the building were just sitting empty, and so we had uh, Reckon Parks. Uh, send a contractor out and they um, open both of those tree pits up so that they're wider so that trees can grow in there longer and become more mature. And we also had them add a third tree pit there on the side of the building. Reckon Parks planted two of those trees last spring um, and the third pit was still um, not planted. So my staff and I went out there this morning and planted a third tree that was delivered to us uh, by Tree Baltimore from Reckon Parks staff. Um, and it was just a good opportunity to, to, to get our hands dirty. We like to do that. I like, we, well, guess what? We love that. We love seeing that. It's exciting. Is that, were there, were there a post on your Facebook page of that of happening? I don't know if you have it up already. Um, 
Um, I haven't posted on Facebook, um, but I did put it on my Twitter earlier today, added like Ryan Dorsey. Okay. Uh, all my social media is all the same. It's always it, Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, at elect Ryan Dorsey. Um, so I put it on there earlier with some pics. So let's talk a little bit about you. I mean, now we're, you know, relaxing. It's like having a cup of coffee right now. That's um, right. So you're an avid bike rider. What is it like to ride a century? I see that. <laughs> I see that. And I'm like, this guy really rode, rode, a, rode a bike for a century, like a hundred miles. Yeah, I rode, um, I got kind of on a kick lately. I rode 400 plus mile rides um, on Sundays. I did four over the course of five weeks uh, just recently. And, um, you know, rode to Hanover, Pennsylvania, rode to Shrewsbury, Pennsylvania, up through Pretty Boy and all that. Did one ride um, from home over here by Lake Montebello over to Liberty Reservoir, then up to Pretty Boy Reservoir, and then down over to Lock Raven Reservoir and back home. Uh, what did I call it? Uh, Le Tour de l'Estoire Reservoir. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to get out there. You know, I sit in this, I'm sitting in this chair in my kind of my COVID room, right? It's my like all purpose room, right? You know, I move this chair three feet to my right to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the other 12 hours of the day, unless I go out for a three-hour bike ride, um, I'm, I'm going to be sitting in this exact chair all day long doing constituent service work, making calls about legislative initiatives I got going on. And, you know, we, got, we all got to take care of ourselves our own way. And um, for me, that's getting out on my bike. Um, and I became more fit to do that just by being a bike commuter. It's really the fastest way to get around the city. Um, and, and it's, you know, it makes, it may, I don't know, it makes you happier, healthier, and more energetic to be getting around by active transportation modes. Um, so I'm happy to see that the city is, um, really stepping up its game to try to make cycling safer for people in Baltimore city, especially now with COVID-19, since we see so many more people out on, on bikes, um, around the city for both transportation and for recreation. I will say that you are a champion for bikes and, I want to say that many people might not know this. I'm a bike rider also. And I just, I'm, I'm brand new. I'm not like you. I can't do a century. I can't do that. But there were some things going on, um, not even in your district that I want to commend you on. Uh, I'm a bike rider. I like riding around Lake Montebello. And there were some things going on at night that were just not savory. And you went out there and rode at night to make sure things were getting back to normal. And I want to salute you, sir, for doing that. I think it was you and uh, um, Miss Odetta Ramos going out there and just was that? Odette. My, yeah, we Odette? had okay. o- Odette came out as well as 43rd District Delegate Regina Boyce, Regina T. Boyce. Um, they all came out as well as con- some constituents. Uh, uh, Ana Quenze Egwe from the original Northwood neighborhood. Um, my wife, Erin Fostel, came out. Um, and we just, you know, cruised around the lake. There were a couple of incidents, uh, in kind of close succession where a couple of women had had their bikes stolen from them, um, out there by the lake. I don't even know that it happened uh, in the evening. It might've happened. I think at least one of them happened, you know, in broad daylight or whatever, but we, we just decided to go out there, um, at a time when there are still people out there using it but not as many people. And so there aren't as many eyes watching things. We figured that that'd be a prime opportunity for somebody to come, come and try to take advantage of somebody. So we just wanted to be some extra eyes out there. And you just 
good excuse to get out there and ride some laps around the lake. Hey, again, I just wanted to, I wanted people to understand that that's, that's huge. That's huge that, you know, a lot of things you don't say out loud, but I saw that. And I just want to say, thank you for doing that, sir. That was really nice. Okay. So let's get a little bit, a little bit about you. What are your three favorite vinyl records that you own? I don't know what my favorite three records I own. I, I I probably have like, I, I hesitate to say I have a thousand records, but like, you know, I got a pretty fair collection. Uh, it's a mix of jazz, um, soul, uh, not a whole lot of soul, but jazz, um, classical music, uh, class, a lot of classic rock, um, some like kind of roots stuff, like um, from the Alan Lomax uh, recordings, the Southern Journey. Um, and then I have a small small collection of kind of contemporary records um from a few groups that you know contemporary and and, you know things that come from like my lifetime like i got some sonic youth records like i got my double lp uh daydream nation record and that's a that's a reprint and you know it's nice to have that on vinyl good sounding um records really are the best quality audio you can get um but i have three um that i pulled out just to uh just because i think they're uh fun to talk about um first the last the last like cultural event that i went out to um before covid was to see a band that originated here in baltimore called y oak and uh they were doing a show at uh to a packed house at 2640 space in um I guess that's still Charles Village, maybe old Goucher um, and packed house. And they had one opening group called Ohm, O-H-M-M-E. They're, they previously were also called Ohm, but it was H-O-M-M-E. But these days they are O-H-M-M-E. Um, and it's two uh, incredibly uh, incredible uh, performers um from chicago they tour as a duo but actually they record with a drummer as well um they're called ohm and they were great and so i bought both of the records that they had and then they have more recently released another record um so i'm just a big fan of ohm i've done a lot of listening to ohm um they're on the joyful noise label and um, Joyful Noise has a kind of a partnership, even with some who are like not on their label, but do special releases through their label. Um, but a lot of independent artists, um, really good artists. And another uh, one who has uh, been doing releases through Joy- Joyful Noise now uh, is my very favorite band, Deerhoof. Um, and they have this new record out this year. I think they've actually released four records this year. Um, but this is, um, called, um, uh, future teenage cave artists is the name of this record. Um, and I haven't listened to it yet. That's what's remarkable to me is that I have, I have had this record for like four months. I even pre-ordered it like three months before it was released. And COVID has done such weird things to my life that I haven't even listened to this record yet. I'm just kind of saving it 
for the moment where I just feel like just right. But I'm doubting now that that moment is going to come and I just got to make some time in my life to listen to this record. But they really are my favorite band. Um, and I, I have deliberately not listened to it digitally on Spotify or nothing else. Just I'm waiting. I'm going to put it on my record player. Um, I also got this other record um, that I'm interested in hearing about uh, hearing uh, when I make a minute for it. Uh, it's Hungarian vocal and instrumental music uh, recorded in Hungary. It's probably like 40 years old. I don't know. Um, and it's just called Hungary. And uh, I got this from a friend who recently moved out of Baltimore, sold her home here to some other friends uh, and uh, moved back home. Um, and this was one of a few records I got from her as she was leaving town. I haven't listened to this yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I love world music. That's interesting. I, I never knew that. I never knew that. Wow. See that this is why we have this quarterly. I like this. I like learning this quarterly. That's we right. like I this. Got a lot of records though. What, what, what you you got some vinyl collection, right? Man, no, nah, man. I don't. I have CDs. I don't have. I don't you have vinyl. CDs. Don't. You got CDs <laughs> with the classic, like all cap like block print red print on the side of it i was just saying somebody the other day talking about like that was such a ubiquitous um gra like design decision that was made just bazillions of cds made with the white edge with all red block print particularly columbia records did yes. that but some other labels did that it was like a ubiquitous way of marking the ends of cds i, I remember that i remember now did you ever too did Page you ever want to be a, D, a DJ? I'm just curious. I mean, because because I always think guys who collect vinyl, they want to spend when they're prime, like in their quiet time to spend. Have you ever thought about doing that? No, nah, I ain't into it. I, but I, I um no, I come from you know, working in my family's business selling stereo. And so just like high quality uh, audio listening, high quality recording playback um, is something that I really appreciate and enjoy. Um, and, and that's why I keep records just because they sound great. Um, not because they make me feel a certain way to be listening to vinyl or anything like that. <laughs> it's like, really, they sound better than other forms of recording. They sound clearly better than CD and MP3 and things like that. And it's just, it's just a really enjoyable listening experience. No, that that's good to know. I'm glad, I'm glad you can share that with us. I really appreciate it. My speakers it. are seven feet, 10 inches tall. Not that, not wow. that Mike makes right, but these are a particular, very particular pair of speakers from 1984 called the Acoustat 2 plus 2. They're an electrostatic speaker and they are pretty awesome. They don't sell those anymore, do they? They don't. <laughs> there are, you can get electrostatic speakers, but Acoustat's not around anymore. All right. All right. So we talked a little bit about you. We're going to go. I want to warm everybody up so everybody just knows who you are as a person outside of work. All we're right. So talk we're going to talk about you? No, we're not going to talk about me. Not we're today. Gonna go, this is just, this, 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 this is uh, lunch with the councilman. <laughs> I'm going to start a, a podcast just so I can have you on. <laughs> then we can talk about you. We can do that later. Yeah, definitely. All right, so third district, third district. You know, I've lived here, as you know, for the longest time in your district and moved to one side to other district. Tell me about some new things you got going on, programs. I've, I've, I've heard some things, but I want you to tell us, the listeners, about as far as uh, ride-alongs, things of that nature. Um, so one thing that I'm doing, oh yeah, ride-alongs. We're doing um, third district ride-alongs uh, every couple of weeks now. We're going to, um, as long as the weather allows, um, we're going to be just riding around the district on bikes. We've done the first two now on 
um, Thursday mornings at 8 a.m., just like a two-hour ride, real casual, about 10 miles over the course of about two hours. That's a that's like an incredibly manageable pace that involves like a lot of stopping and talking about this and that, um, just to observe different things, have conversation. Um, the next one we're doing uh, is going to be uh, next Saturday. Not uh, I don't know when. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's, so let's do, um, let's but, November, November. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't have them all planned yet. Um, okay. um, so we're in general, we're just going to be doing this every couple weeks. Um, you can, you can catch the notices about it on my Twitter. Uh, if you're on Strava, I created a club on Strava for a third district ride along. Um, and I'm just going to be riding around doing a real casual ride. You're just talking about not just this district, but things, you know, processes of city, uh, you know, how you get things to happen in the city. Um, you know, it's just kind of another way and opportunity for us to have conversation, really. Um, we're just biking around. So every couple of weeks. Um, what's another thing we've got going on? I, I got this thing about English Ivy. Um, yes, yes, yes. There, let's, talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk there, about English Ivy, please. There are a few things in this world that I uh, hate more than English Ivy. Um, I I got some tools and in a bucket, and I carry that bucket out with me, and I go and I cut English Ivy around the base of trees so that everything, you know, if you cut just a couple inches away all the way around a tree, uh, so that those vines that are growing up the tree can't are no longer attached to the roots down at the base of the tree. Mm -hmm. um, everything above will die. And if you don't do that, English ivy will kill a tree. And trees are valuable and trees are nice. And if you if you get that English ivy um, like that, if you kill it like that, the a tree will stay healthy. You know, it'll recover from that. Um, and you can, you know, even if trees are kind of on their last legs because English ivy has mostly killed them, you can certainly prolong the life of the tree. Um, and, and it spreads like crazy. And, um, as it becomes more mature, mature and grows higher up, it starts to flower. And then that flowering can then, you know, blow away like any other plant and, spread even further and so it's really important to get those ones that are m really mature like that even if they're on dead trees you know getting that um will keep them from flowering and spreading even farther and if you look around in our city parks it's just rampant in our city parks and so eventually if left unattended uh, to it will it'll kill the whole forest you know all the forested area in the city and it's on city street trees and it's in neighbor you know on, on people's private property um, and, and so I'm, I'm doing parks, I'm doing city street trees. And then if a constituent calls me and says, I got one on my property, <laughs> you want to help me out with it? Yeah, I'll be there. And so, uh, I've done a number with some residents. Um, uh, and, and it turns out with some of them, I go to somebody's house and the tree that they're talking about is right at their edge of their property and is actually a city owned street tree. Um, so, you know, but but I'm I'm glad to have people engaged in it. Um, mostly when I go out to somebody's house to to take care of something, they'll come out and they'll help me, and it's a good opportunity for me to teach them how to do it, and hopefully that they'll t they'll teach somebody else. And you know, I'd eventually like to see a really big like one annual day, citywide. You know, hundreds of people coming out to take care of huge numbers of these trees. You can really get through a lot of trees pretty quickly. Um, 
not too long ago, two guys came out with me and we took care of three tree, uh, uh, 20 plus trees, the three of us, 20 plus trees in, uh, I think just over an hour, uh, in Herring Run Park. So you can really make a big dent, um, pretty quickly if you get some, some body power behind it. I just learned something new today, folks, about yeah, English man. Ivy. I like that. I like that. Let's talk about the art. You had something going on with the art artists that um, need a program going on with that. And the uh, artists won something. Some award for third district. Yeah. My district is the um, only city council district in the city where I have uh, created, where there's a, a district level uh, arts grant program. Uh, it's called artist district. You can learn more about it at artistdistrict.org. Um, and uh this is our third year running. Um, we've awarded each year $12,000 in grants to residents of the district. The first two years, we issued four $3,000 grants. And then this year, because so many people have been so adversely affected um, by COVID, we wanted to spread those dollars out a little bit farther. And so we went, uh, we decided to do six $2,000 grants instead this year. Um, and you know, so we get, I think we had about 60 applicants this year. I think we had 40 last year. I think we have 80 the first year. Um, you know, so it's a straightforward program. I'm proud of it. And we'll have, um, November 7th, we're going to have, uh, a kind of report out where those six recipients this year are going to talk about, you know, why it's important. It's not a, um, it's not a project-based grant. So it's not, um, um, they don't have to produce anything with the money. The importance of this um, grant is just that we're demonstrating that it's important for us to be committed to supporting artists as laborers and as members of our community who just like anybody else has to make ends meet. Um, and um, that there's a lot that goes into being a working artist that uh, happens only behind the scenes, uh, not the least of which is they got to put food on the table. They got to pay the bills. Um, and if you're a parent, you got to take care of your kid. And um, if all of that's the case um, and you need to be in a studio, you know, that's potentially outside of your home, not only you got to pay the rent uh, for that studio, um, but you also got to pay for childcare for that kid in a lot of cases, uh, just so that you can be doing that work that also costs you money to create. Um, and hopefully you're going to sell it um, at some point um, and it's going to provide a return for you. But we just really want to support the arts community because, you know, who would we be without the arts? And when I ask myself that question, it's really easy to, to, to understand the need to support artists because they're just absolutely um, indispensable and invaluable to our quality of life and who we understand ourselves to be as individuals. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. So let's talk about, so I'm going to bring it up. You know, I was on Facebook um, recently and there was a big discussion. What's the and it's uh, the big discussion was about the new development of the social distancing on Harford Road. <laughs> um, some people didn't think it looked pretty. <laughs> Other people didn't think care for it. Um, personally, for myself, I have a young one and I can walk. I don't mind walking to Zeke's Coffee now. 
I don't mind walking to Tortuga. I like going to the children's bookstore, not worrying about getting hit by a car. So again, let's talk let's talk a little bit about it because that's a hot topic. And a lot of people thought you were involved with that, but I don't think you were. Am I right or wrong with that? Were you involved with that? Or, I mean, just clarify that just a little. So I don't know if you were or not. Look, uh, you know, I've been out here uh, advocating for more space for people since, you know, before I took office four years ago. Um, and so, you know, I'd love to think that the general work that I've done over the last four years has had an influence to where other people in city government and in um, organizations that work with the city um, are you know, have a more top of the mind sense that um, there are a lot of ways that we could be improving people's quality of life um, and improving business opportunity in communities all around the city by making more space for people. Um, and that that's a reasonable compromise, um, you know, that involves making a little bit less space for cars, considering we have given up literally a third of the space in the city to cars. Um, and uh, so what, uh, so it's nice to see, and I, I hope that in that bigger picture, um, I have had some influence to help programs like Design for Distancing come about. But this particular most recent project is from that program, Design for Distancing, that was spearheaded by the Baltimore Development Corporation, who, you know, in years past, I have and I continue to significantly criticize um, for, you know, much of the way that they work. You know, I have said to them, look, you're supposed to be the people who foster economic development opportunity throughout the city. Um, yet I see a lot of your effort go into downtown and the areas immediately surrounding downtown. And when it comes to districts like mine, places like mine, y'all are just kind of like, hey, we offered the businesses facade grant assistance and it's up to them to apply for them and they don't want to apply for them. And so, you know, and then they shrug their shoulders and I criticize them and I tell them that straight to their face. Y'all can't shrug your shoulders at my district if the only thing that you're doing is offering them facade grants, like I need more. And one of the ways that I've said to them since the day I took office is you can improve the quality of public space. And so it's really, I'm really happy to see them improving. Uh, you know, they put up money, thousands of dollars. Like I forget exactly how much somewhere between 20, 10 and $20,000 in order to make these um, changes. Um, and, uh, and, and this happened through a partnership. They, they basically made the program available to Main Street's organizations all around the city. And we're fortunate that the Harford Road Corridor has the Hamilton Laurelville Main Street's nonprofit championing uh, the interests of the community around here. And so Main Street's partnered with uh, some local business owners there to uh, make the application for this and to take advantage of this process. And they had to work with uh, a designer. Um, they, par they partnered with Graham Corral Allen, um, whose uh, business um, is, refer is called um, New Public Sites. And, um, and so Graham came up with a design concept and some uh, plans for that. And then that was approved through part of this uh, design for distancing program was also a partnership with the neighborhood design center, uh, another nonprofit that works citywide. 
Um, and so, and then, and then those plans went through approval uh, by the uh, city department of transportation to make sure that the designs were safe and, you know, sensible. And um, that's how that came about. I was, you know, and at that point it was just, it's nice to me uh, for me to just be able to sit back and see something that uh, really realizes a lot of what I want for the Hartford Road corridor to happen without me having to have my hands in it literally at all. I just got to stand by and say, hey, look, it's finally happening and uh, others are leading on it. It's always great to see other people leading on the issues that you hold dear. I will tell you, um, I was out there last first Friday, first, first Friday. Amazing. It was a big crowd out there. Yeah, I would say over a hundred people were out there walking up and down Hartford Road. Yeah, I mean, it was a beautiful thing to see people. I mean, you saw people walking from their neighborhoods. That's right, coming out to the main road. It's and it's it's an important part of um, the economic development opportunity, the economic opportunity that we have for corridors like Harford Road all around the city. It's also an important part of public safety that if we create space that people want to walk to from their neighborhoods, not only will they value their neighborhood more and, uh, and, and walk around in their neighborhood more, but the more people who do that, the more eyes you have on the street, um, that's a critical part of a community policing itself. And it's a critical part of having um, community-based public safety uh, that works. So yeah, I, I definitely I think I really like that. Anything about Soha? Anything you want to talk about that union development? Anything about that? I'm glad to see, look. You know, the, all the developments that um, Cormany development that um, Sam Polakoff, who's really head of that, um, have done uh, are it's a it's a really unique um, uh, development strategy. Uh, unlike much of any what uh, any else of what's happening in the city, everything that um, that that development group is doing uh, was first led by some pretty deep community engagement, listening to what people in the surrounding communities want to have in their neighborhoods, and listening and working with people in the neighborhoods who want to open businesses, finding what they would need in order to make that possible for them. And um, I think it's for that reason that you have such, uh, that I'm pretty sure literally every single business that has come about through their um, real estate development has been created to accommodate people who already live in the immediate surrounding community and for that reason, there has been good um, patronage by people who also live in the communities around it because these businesses are opening um, in a vision that is community centered. Um, and to like really even double down on that level of commitment, Sam, the developer, Sam Polakoff, has sold his home, you know, where he lived before and moved his entire family into that new building that he built. Um, Sam and his wife and their two young kids and their big dog are living in that apartment building now saying, look, we we are really committed to being a part of this community and we're going to walk the walk. We're going to live here, not just invest here. I like I like hearing that. And then I, we, this, is, this is not on our list of things to talk about, but just want to shift over to Northwood Plaza. 
Yeah. Any 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 updates on that? Because I, you know, I want to show love to the, you know, the district three is huge. It's that's, really that's, important. That's yeah. So yeah, many people who live um uh on particularly along the Harford Road corridor do not realize that the city council. You know, look. Let's be clear. Most people throughout the city have no idea of what the boundaries of their city council district are. Plenty of people have no idea what city council district they live in in the first place, who their city council person is. Um, but the and um, there, the, a lot of folks, particularly I think along the Harford Road corridor, do not realize that the third city council district in which they live also includes that area to the immediate west of the Morgan State campus. Um, and so it's always a great opportunity to talk about that part of this district as well. Um, North Oak Plaza is, you know, kind of moving along. They have um, uh, leases for both national, regional, and local businesses coming in there. It's going to be a Lidl grocery store. It'll be the first Lidl in Baltimore City. Um, the McDonald's that is there is going to be relocating to um, the corner of uh, Lock Raven and Argonne, where there's nothing right now. Um, and uh, once that McDonald's relocates, uh, they'll really be able to dig into, no pun intended, the grading work of the site, um, changing the slope of the, the property there um, in order to accommodate uh, the foundation of all the buildings that are to come there. So, uh, you know, we know kind of what the next couple steps are there. Um, and I think we're going to be seeing, you know, even more movement. We've obviously seen all the buildings leveled there uh, on the north side of the property. Um, we're going to see more movement pretty soon. And let's talk about a little bit about, since we're talking about that area, Northwood Elementary. You talk a lot about it. What's going on with that Northwood Elementary? I know you're the design phase and whatnot. So Yeah, the design phase is uh, basically over now. Um, they're into the construction phase. They've put up the silt fencing and the um, erosion fencing there. Um, and they're doing site grading. Um, the school is one of the two, probably, if not the last, of the whole 21st century schools initiative um, that is going to get constructed um, so far. Um, and, you know, look, hopefully we get even more buildings in the city renovated and replaced, um, as funding is available. But so far, this is the last one on that plan. Um, I believe still, um, the whole school is going to get replaced. So they're about to embark on building a brand new school building adjacent to the existing one while the existing one is in use to whatever extent it is in use during COVID, but it's a, it's, a, it's supposed to be a two year uh, project. So even if we have students coming back uh, into buildings in the spring and the following year, those students will be in that existing building while the other one is being constructed immediately next to it, after which the existing building will be torn down. Nice, nice. And then the last thing about the community before we get into legislation, Sure. The bridge. Anything about the bridge? Any? Because you know everybody wants to know about the bridge. <laughs> yeah, bridge. You know, bridge has always been kind of the same. It's it's a three year project. What year? Um, are we, what year are we in right now? I, I I've lost track. <laughs> we're at the end of year two. Okay. Um, it started in November of 2018. Um, and uh, so and, and you know you can you can see it. They've got the foundation of the bridge fully up. They're putting up the the structural uh, elements of the um, 
the surface of the bridge. Somebody told me the other day they saw uh, a young guy carry his bike and walk across one of the steel beams uh, from one side of the bridge to the other. Um, so it's technically passable by some, <laughs> uh, by some means at this point, but I don't recommend that. No, we did, we did. No, the no picture of dark podcast does not recommend you to walk across yeah, beams. Nah. <laughs> um, but, it, but it's happening. You can see even the, um, the archway facade on the side is there, you know, the bridge, uh, was designated as a historic structure. And so the plans for the new bridge um, even though it didn't need to be constructed in the same manner as it had been constructed before, because it, it was a rebar enforced uh, concrete archway structure that was just filled with dirt. Um, and, you know, no modern construction project would employ that technique. Um, uh, but the facade of it had that particular shape of those three arches and um, the new bridge would have to have at least that aesthetic to it. So um, you can even see those arches are in place now. Okay, so that's good enough. Right? They're really I, moving along here. And I, it's so it's anticipated to be fully completed um, by November uh, 2021. This episode of No Picks After Dark Podcast is sponsored by the Charm City Craft Mafia, Baltimore's best local craft fair, presenting Holiday Heap, a virtual craft show the first weekend in December, featuring handmade stationery, apparel, jewelry, ceramics, wall art, body care, small batch food gifts, and more. Crafted by makers in Baltimore and the region. Holiday Heap is Friday through Sunday, December 4th through the 6th. More at CharmCityCraftMafia.com and on Instagram and Facebook at CharmCityCraftMafia. All right, this just this, this for everybody because so if you keep on asking... Uh, you heard it for here, heard it here first from the councilman. All right, we're gonna get the legislation, we're gonna get into the meat of stuff here. We're gonna get into the meat of it. So, renaming the Columbus Obslick, Obslick to Obelisk. Victims, Obelisk, I don't know, Victims of Police Violence mo Monument. That just something just that just passed, or I was reading something about something was going on through the council. What's going on with that? Uh, yeah, so that bill is on at the mayor's desk. Uh, for the mayor to sign veto or allow to go into law without a signature. Um, um, of course, I'm hoping that he doesn't veto it. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, on its surface, it's a uh, run-of-the-mill kind of um, uh, city property renaming bill. Right. You've got to put in a bill like that if you want to change the name of a school building, if you want to change the name of a, a municipal building, if you want to change the name of a city park, you got to put in an ordinance to change the name of that. And we've had a number of those um, happen uh, throughout the, the, this term. And it's, it's kind of a routine thing in a way. Um, this one, of course, had uh, some contention around it um, because there was uh, there's a you know, social, political uh, element to um, what was being renamed and to what, and also um, the issue of its proximity to another uh, like a monument memorial uh, also came up. Uh, there happens to be a um, memorial to five uh, fallen police officers 
at at the about 140 feet away from it. And, um, you know, we heard from a number of police, particularly retired police. Um, and, you know, particularly, I would say retired police who live in Harford County saying, um, that they didn't, you know, they were in opposition. Um, and, um, one of the things that came up was folks saying like, to have a monument to victims of police violence so close to a memorial to these fallen police officers is really a slap in the face to those, to the memory and to the families of those fallen police officers. And it's just really a disgrace. And I just really have had to say, and have said consistently that like, look, if you can't honor victims of police violence, which there are and are real and um, deserve to be honored and recognized um, for the injustice that they have borne and uh, for the pain and suffering that their families have borne. Um, if we can't honor that in the same place as something else, then where can we honor both? And um, one doesn't have to have any bearing on the other. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I just say, if you can't honor both in one park, how could you possibly espouse to honor both in one heart? Um, and, and, you know, we had some other folks say, you know, like, well, well there are so many killings in Baltimore city. Why do you, why do you want to overlook all of that other violence and specifically talk about you know, victims of police violence. Why don't you make it a, a, a memorial to all victims of violence of all types? Isn't it all bad? And the, the reality is like, it's all bad, but that's really the all lives matter approach to this thing, right? That is, um, ignores the, the fact that black people disproportionately and black families and black communities disproportionately bear the brunt of um, victimization of police violence. Um, and it really um, it, it, it really whitewashes and ignores the, um, the reality that police violence and really policing in general is a direct outgrowth of a system of white supremacy. Um, and, and that it is something, it is a uniquely um, insidious and uniquely offensive form of violence that continues to occur and is has been a, has been occurring for as long as this country has existed. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, other thing, let's talk about now, did Baltimore City change the laws or change the, for Columbus Day? I know we were talking about, has that any, any word on that? That has also uh, been placed on the mayor's desk. Um, so you refer to that because um, this as the Columbus Obelisk. We you know moved this bill to rename the Columbus Obelisk, which is the oldest monument to Christopher Columbus anywhere in the country. Um, and um, and since there are not really con other countries that celebrate Columbus the way that Americans have, it's probably the oldest Columbus monument in the world. Um, and it happens to be right here in the third district. At the same time. Um, we have a bill on the mayor's desk to uh, uh, 
discontinue recognizing um, was that first Monday in October as Columbus Day and recognize it instead as Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, this is the second time it has come uh, up before the city council. It came up, you know, four years ago at the end of the last term, uh, put put forth by um, council member Brandon Scott, who's now the council president, um, and is going to be the next mayor of Baltimore. Um, and this time it was put up um, by Councilman John Bullock of the 9th District over in West Baltimore. And um, that is, has been passed now uh, by the city council. It's on the mayor's desk. If the mayor were to you know, declare that he had signed it uh, before Monday, then we could like very officially say, okay, it has now been you know, officially declared that we recognize this as Indigenous Peoples Day. I don't know that he's going to do that. Um, I kind of doubt that he's going to veto it, but you know, anything's possible. Um, so at the very least, uh, the following year, we will, as a city officially recognize, uh, that first Monday in October as indigenous people's day. All right. Thank you so much. Let's you're a very to... thankful guy, Aaron, man. I answer these questions. You're like, thank you very much. Hey, hey, I try to be the best host out here. I try to be a nice host. You're a good host. All right. Let's talk about towing overhaul. <laughs> you are uh, so. You and I had a nice discussion um, at the Farmer's Market on 30, 33rd Street, 32nd Street, Farmer's Market. 33rd Street, the Waverly Farmer's Market. Saturday Waverly Farm Market. And you you gave, you were talking to a couple of constituents and myself, and you gave an interesting story. And um, I think that story was really impactful because I spoke to a couple of friends after that, and they said that happened to us too. It was shady things happened like this that you told us during this story about people picking up the car and things of that nature, but give us a little insight of you give the people a little insight of what you, what you, what you discuss with us. It doesn't have to be to the extent, but give a little insight of what the towing situation. So right now the city, um, there's one form of towing that the city regulates. And then there is one or a couple different forms of towing that the city contracts. And uh, I think it's important to recognize that because a lot of people think of towing as towing and they never really think deeply into, uh, why would you, right? The various forms of towing and how government regulates or interacts with various forms of towing. Um, but the the form that we regulate is called trespass towing. Uh, and because we regulate it, we have uh, kind of as a best practice, the city has a trespass towing board that uh, kind of oversees and administers aspects of the licensure of people doing this kind of business um, in the city of Baltimore. Uh, you don't have to, your company doesn't have to be, uh, you know, um, a, your address for your company doesn't have to be in Baltimore City in order for you to engage in trespass towing. There are a number that are in the Baltimore County, for example. But if you want to practice trespass towing, which is the towing of vehicles from private lots like apartment complex parking lots or, um, you know, a fast food restaurant or, you know, um, convenience store parking lot. These are the ones that have the signs up that say vehicles towed from here are towed to such and such a company at such and such address. Um, the other thing that the city does is the city engages uh in contracting with people to tow from police uh police scenes like where people get into a crash 
um, or where there's a stolen vehicle and, you know, somebody is arrested um, uh, or something like that. And the car needs to be towed to the city tow yard. Um, police have the power to call for a vehicle that is obstructing traffic to be towed. Um, and so they call on uh, towers that are contracted by the city to do that stuff, whether um, whether they're towing to the city tow yard or whether they're towing to um, a you know, mechanic or body shop specified by the owner of that vehicle. Um, and so they call this kind of accident towing. And, and in any case, there's two different sets of code in the city. One deals with one form of towing, one deals with the other. And I have a bill that repeals both in their entirety and puts them all together into one section of code and um, overhauls uh, a number of aspects of the law on that and also adds uh, some new stipulations. One of the things, if you've ridden around the city, you've seen broken car parts sitting in the street, bumpers, or just broken pieces of headlights or whatever. One of the things that this bill requires is that anybody who does towing from the city's right of way, from the city streets or whatever, um, they have to have a broom and a trash can on their truck. And if they tow from a scene where there's debris like that, they have to keep, they have to leave it broom swept or else they can be fined $1,000. Um, and the city doesn't pay them $1,000 to tow the car. I mean, you could tow 10 cars on behalf of the city and not make $1,000. So there's a real incentive there for these towers to clean up these scenes or start losing money hand over fist. Um, and so, and, and that's a real problem. We got a trash problem in the city. We got a, you know, dirty city. Um, and so this is one way that the city can regulate some of the people who are making money, extracting money in a way from citizens in the city. Um, uh, other things, if you've ever had your car towed and you ran up and the tower was just starting to connect your car, and in order to tow it away and you say hold up i'm here that's my car don't tow me they'll say all right well my normal towing fee is 280 dollars if you pay me 140 dollars because the law allows them to charge up to half um if you pay me 140 dollars i'll put your car down right now but you got to pay me cash there's two things in this bill that address that one if they haven't lifted two wheels of your car off the ground they're not going to be able to charge you that money. So right now, if they just like put a chain around your one tire to start pulling you, they can charge you as soon as they hook that chain up. And now, unless they've got two wheels of your car off the ground, they will not be able to charge you. Um, two, it stipulates that they can't charge you half their towing fee anymore they cannot charge you more than a quarter of their towing fee. So if they're charging $280 to tow your car, they're not going to be able to charge seven, more than $70. Plus it gives the towing board the right to set a cap that's no more than 25%. So the towing board could, could say like Montgomery County does, um, you can't charge more than $30. That's what it is in Montgomery County for a drop fee. Um, and and uh, the, um, the last part, is that right now they're all operating as cash only business. And if you don't got cash on you right then, what are you going to, you're going to go catch an Uber to an ATM and then come back. Maybe they're not going to be waiting for you when you come back. Um, this law, this law of mine says that, um, that they have to now, they'll have to now accept two major credit cards. And there's a variety of other things in there, including, um, 
making DOT an enforcement agency, whereas right now, BPD is the only people that can actually enforce the towing laws. And if they choose not to do that, we have no other means of recourse to um, hold uh, bad actors accountable, uh, making DOT the uh, another entity that in, can enforce through civil and environmental citations uh, gives us a much better opportunity to enforce. Wow, that's thank you, thank you so much. That was you gave you gave you gave a lot of knowledge. I hope, like I said, again, I want people to get educated. That's why we're doing this quarterly because we want everybody to learn, yeah. understand there there are laws. There's, there's laws out there that are protecting the consumer. Definitely. And, you know, again, there's many times where I don't even carry cash on me. I mean, no, if it's, I live in Baltimore city, I'm not carrying cash. I'd rather have a credit card or Apple pay and call. Yeah, it's, it's not just and that that's just Baltimore me. city. It's 2020. Yeah. It's a lot right. of people don't carry cash. I'd never carry cash. There's on some me, businesses so. now that don't even accept cash. Yeah. 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 There was a, th- there were, now don't quote me on this, but I think one, a city in the Northeast, I want to say it was Philadelphia. They tried to do cashless and then that got knocked down real quick. Um, yeah, look, there, yeah, there are people that would say, you know, a business shouldn't be allowed to not accept cash, right? right, right. Um, there are plenty of unbanked people um, who may not have a credit card or an ATM card, uh, you know, debit card um, because of that, uh, that, you know, essentially live a cash only life. And you're essentially discriminating against those folks by uh, not allowing them to patronize your business. Um, and in Baltimore city, the economics of, of it being what they are, there are plenty of unbanked people. Um, and, and so, you know, will we go so far as to say it's unlawful to not accept cash? That's yet to be seen, but the, 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 the intent of that certainly resonates with me. Yeah. All right, so let's go back. Let's go to campaigning. Um, is a one-party system good for Baltimore? Because I've been hearing a lot about the one-party system. I have, I have associates from the Green Party. I have associates, and you know they have they have their concerns and whatnot. So, what what is your thought on that? Now, I I did another podcast a while ago, uh, Elevate Maryland podcast, and they asked me about Kim Klasik and um, how she. Um, you know, that's a, that's her thing is like, oh, Baltimore is just run by these Democrats and that's why it's a problem. Well, she didn't say anything about Howard County and Baltimore County. You know, they're also run by Democrats, you know, predominantly. But there but there is there are some Republicans in, in office in those other places. Um, we have no Republicans or no non-Democrats in uh, either our local um, elected offices or in our state level uh, representation. Um, It's been this way for a long time. And, uh, you know, I would say, and I think a lot of people would say is that, you know, a Democrat is not necessarily what I would think of as a Democrat, right? Uh, Not necessarily always. You you might have some Democrats that are going to exhibit more traits of uh, a Republican but still call themselves a Democrat because there's this institution that says in Baltimore, you can't get elected unless you say you're a Democrat. So there's plenty of people that are going to demonstrate more attributes of a Republican than, than what I think of as a Democrat. And there are certainly people um, like me that are going to demonstrate a lot more of the attributes um, of somebody from the green party or an independent, you know, I, I carry a lot of independence in the way that I operate and think, 
Um, but I don't call myself an independent. Um, and you know, that's for two reasons. One, I think that I can do good work in the city and I accept that there is a, a massive uphill battle, um, uh, about this whole party thing. And so I call myself a Democrat. Um, and, and, but at the same time, I do believe that I embrace what I think a Democrat should be. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of people that would say that, uh, greens, uh, represent what a Democrat should be, but by and large Democrats, um, are pulled to the center, pulled to, they, they migrate to, they sit in this like central, I don't believe in centrism. Let's just be clear. I like, I don't believe in centrism. Uh, I don't think there's an, any intrinsic benefit to being in the center. Um, um, and really doing so, migrating to the center gives um, more credence um, than, uh, than there should be to the ideas of the right and gives more power to the right. Um, but so we, we have this one party thing and what's an, out, uh, an outcome of this is like that, that you, if anybody can say that they're part of this one party, then it means nothing to be of that party. And uh, so much to the extreme extent that you can be a, party, a part of this party and stand for nothing. You can be a Democrat and have no platform. And as we've seen from the 2020 uh, RNC, and their nominating of Trump, they outright accepted that they were nominating a candidate with no platform. And that's what you see of like, you know, people like Kim Klasik is they have no credible platform whatsoever. They have some talk point, talking points and they might put some bullet points and they might say, you know, some buzzwords or, or whatever on their website. Um, but there's no credible evidence of there being like a platform of actual action that they want to see taken. If you look over at the other side, it's not the case. The Green Party has a platform. And I think that it's really important for political ideology to be questioned through the discussion of, of policy. And that's what a platform is really about, is about not just having a message, but a platform so that you can have one party challenging the ideas of another party. And when one party has no ideas, then you really start to see the contrast that does and could and should exist. Um, and, and with that, I really think that it's important for the health of the Democratic Party to be challenged significantly from the left by parties like the Green Party. In other places, you see it with the Working Families Party, or you might see it through independence. Um, you know, so I think it would be significantly in the interest of the city to to give rise to, particularly to the left. Do you do you see a Green Party candidate possibly making that jump into city council policy one day? I, I think it's certainly more credible uh, a, a proposition than a uh, Republican, for sure. Okay, yeah, I'll, I always wonder about that because it feels like in Baltimore, like you said, it's one party system. It feels like there's no challenge yeah. at all. It's just within the party. So I always wonder, it's always good to have someone else out there to give different ideas and views, you know, as far as that. So I like how you answered that on that. All right, is there anything, while we're, we're going to wrap this up, you know, one big bow, um, where are there, are there any things that you want to talk about 
that, you know, right before the holidays and whatnot um, that you have going on or anything in District 3, anything about Baltimore? Uh, you know, are we going to do anything about heaters for our restaurants down the road, you know, for wintertime? Um, anything like that going on? Because I know I'm worried. Constituents are worried. We're worried about wintertime. You know, restaurants, that's a struggle. Yeah. It's going to be different. Anything like that that's coming up that you're thinking about helping out or Baltimore City as a whole, City Council as a whole, where do they, what's the thoughts out there? Well, we just had this bill. I was one of only three people to vote no on this bill to transfer $2 million from the Department of Transportation to the police department. Um, and uh, I just thought it was a terrible idea. And I specifically, what you just noted uh, about heaters for restaurants, like if we're giving up space in the public right of way, uh, if we're, we're promoting its use for restaurants and local businesses, uh, even as we're coming into colder winter months, um, what else could we be doing to make that a truly viable way of operating through these next months um, as we continue to socially distance? Um, I, you know, I think that, as you said, heaters um, are an important part of that. And you just think about how many businesses you could accommodate by supporting you know, uh, the use of heaters. Um, but if you're given $2 million from the Department of Transportation to BPD, you know, DOT certainly doesn't have that money to buy these heaters and to, you know, issue grants or whatever that might, they might do to, to help those businesses. Um, you know, so it's, uh, it's hard to know what's going to come next when we've just made such a decision. Okay. All right. Well, again, Councilman Ryan Dorsey, thank you for coming on. And we're going to keep on doing this quarterly. And if anything happens, um, we will definitely be out there and uh, we'll break breaking news or anything like that. Yeah, man. And Stay I, in touch, man. Good to see you earlier today. Always. It's always good to go up on the corridor and to see everybody. It's just like a, it's like another second home family, you know, seeing everybody. And it feels a little bit, a little bit normal now, a little bit. Not like we used before, but it's a little bit. But it feels a little bit better. You see a lot more people, a lot more faces coming out the house now. So yeah, again, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. And Councilman Dorsey, you're off the hot seat for the day. Hi, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Thank you, sir. Bye.